0: the second letter to the Church of the Thessalonians. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Your faith is growing more and more despite your hardships and suffering. God uses this persecution to develop us, but judgment will come for those who abuse you. The end is coming, but it will not come until the Antichrist is first revealed. He will exalt himself over everything and proclaim himself to be God. Many will follow him, but will be lost forever because of it. The day is coming for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus, and we will come with him from heaven with his powerful angels. Jesus will overthrow the Antichrist with just a word spoken, and he will reign over all creation in triumph. God has chosen you to be saved by the work of his Spirit and by your faith, May you continue to be faithful to the Lord and walk in obedience to Him so that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in and through your life. Until that day, we will all be together with our Lord.
1: Well, yay God for Zeke and this choir. And wasn't just such a, oh, love that song. So love that song. Well, we've just seen that from this this video, we're in a study of the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, last spring, we went through the book of 1 Thessalonians. The whole idea of 1 Thessalonians is that while we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, how should we live? What should we do? How should we be as a church? What should we do as a church? What should we do individually? And all last spring, we went verse by verse through 1 Thessalonians looking to see what God had to say to us. And now this spring, we're going to go through the book of 2 Thessalonians. And the whole idea of 2 Thessalonians is this. He's coming back. And when Jesus comes back, what will happen? As the end comes What will happen? And we're going to be working through this incredible book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians is really a composite. It is an abbreviated book of Revelation. It was written 40 years before the book of Revelation. John, the apostle John, wrote the book of of Revelation And he expounded on the principles, on the the basic teaching that Paul gave in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, that was written between 51 to 53 B.C. And both of these guys totally agreed. I don't know whether John ever read 2 Thessalonians or not. I don't know whether he ever read what Paul wrote, but they line up perfectly in their two books. John just expounds so much more. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what's going to happen at the end. How is it all going to come together? Last week, we took the entire first chapter in one message, and that's pretty rare. But all of the first chapter is about one key idea, and that is the judgment. And Paul sort of weaves together the judgment in the judgment of God. Believers that know Christ as Savior, the judgment of unbelievers. The Bible calls the judgment of believers, of Christ's followers, the judgment seat of Christ. And we looked at that last week. We will give an account of our lives, both good and bad, the Bible says. But the whole idea of the Bema seat, of the judgment seat of Christ, is a very positive time. It is a time of rewards. And we talked about that last week. But the Bible also describes a judgment that is coming of those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. It is a horrible, it is a a terrible, it is a scary, it is an amazingly described event that will come. And the only end result of that is condemnation. And to seal the fate of those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, this morning I want us to now go into the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to stay in this chapter for a little while, several, several weeks, because there's so much in this chapter that I want us to work through together. There are two great ideas in this second chapter. There is a world leader that is going to emerge called, that the Bible calls the Antichrist, and he's identified our not by name, but the concept of the Antichrist is talked about in the second chapter. And then the second idea of the glorious appearance of Jesus, the return of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking at both of these, what's going to happen as these two unfold. So with that in mind, let's take a look. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Listen to what it says. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, some report, or a letter supposedly to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until three things happen. Three things. And now he gives us the three things. First... These will not happen until the apostasy occurs. And number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed for destruction. Now, I'm going to encourage you, go look at verse 3 and the two places where it says man, circle those words, man. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Verse 4, he, circle the word he, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he, circle the word he, is sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you all these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but, number three, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. There's a restraining going on. And will go on until the moment is right, and then the restrainer will be removed. That's what he's saying. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So what's going on in this passage? Well, what happens is, is that when Paul writes the book of 1 Thessalonians we went through, they get that book and they... It's read to them, and they are so excited. They now know, how is it that we're to live our life? As we go through these days, it was so encouraging to them and so helpful and so teaching to them. But what happened was is that after that book of 1 Thessalonians came and they, they had it read to them, somebody wrote another letter to them and signed Paul's name. It was a forgery. Signed Paul's name at the end as though it were Paul that was writing it, and in the letter said to them, Jesus has already come back and you've been left behind. What a terrible trick. Well, you can imagine how upset they were. What about you? What did this happen to you? What if you woke up one morning and discovered Jesus has come back and you have been left behind? You'd be a little disappointed, wouldn't you? You would be very upset. Can I tell you that in every service, there are probably some, and in this service, probably some, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've done all the stuff, you have gone through all the hoops religiously, but the truth is you've never committed your heart by faith to Jesus Christ. You're religious but religiously lost. And there could be in every one of our services, on both of our campuses, individuals, and the truth is, If it did come tonight, you would be left behind. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to say to you, make sure. We're talking about a faith, as we looked at last week, of commitment to Jesus Christ. Make sure you know Him. Well, this letter appeared, and now... Uh, They were very upset, and Paul heard about it, and immediately, when he heard about it, he immediately sits down and writes this book, the book of 2 Thessalonians, and says, you don't believe, don't believe letters that supposedly came from me. They did not come from me. You already know what's going to happen at the end, and it hadn't happened yet. I've already worked through that with you. What's interesting to me is that very idea. We know from history that Paul was only in this town, Thessalonica, for only a few weeks, a very few weeks and during those few weeks he led every one of these people one by one by one to Jesus Christ and he began to teach them and train them uh, to help them to grow in their walk and their faith with Christ but then within a matter of a few weeks he was forced out of Thessalonica they were trying to kill him they were coming to to kill him and he had to leave So he did not get to tell them all the things he wanted to tell them. But it's interesting to me that of all the things he did tell them, he told them a great deal about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I say that because of this. I've had so many pastors that said to me, in their whole ministry, they almost have never talked about the second coming of Christ. And when I've asked them why, some have never taught on the subject. Some a little bit, you know, well, he's coming, but I don't know anything beyond that. And when I've asked them why, everyone has said to me, because it's so confusing that I've just decided I'm not going to say anything about it, except that it's coming. That means that so much of the Bible they're not teaching through. So the question, why? Because it's so confusing to them. What they're really meaning is this. There's so many theories, I don't know which one is right. And so I've decided I won't say anything at all. And I think that's the great disaster. Today, I personally have decided that the pre millennial view of the second coming of Christ is my view. And I talk about the second coming quite a bit. I've talked, I've preached about it many times in this church, and I am totally at peace with the pre millennial view. Now, why is that? Because first of all, when you go back to the writings of the what's called the early church fathers of pastors and bishops and elders all the way back to the end of the first century and all the way up. We've got so many, hundreds and hundreds of those those writings, letters and books and explanations that they gave. And the prevailing theme of those who actually talk about the second coming of Christ is a pre-millennial view. And in fact, the guy, one of the three guys that were personally discipled by the Apostle John, who writes, the only one of the three that writes about the second coming, was strongly pre-millennial. And in my opinion, well, if there's a disciple of John who is pre-millennial, that guy probably knows what the book of Revelation actually means since he was discipled by its author. That is one of the reasons. The second reason is simply because it's the easiest thing to understand. You read the Bible and you'll just naturally, as you're reading the Bible, come to a premillennial view because the premillennial view just takes what the Bible says and just says it. And it unfolds and it seems to me that if a person knew absolutely nothing about the Bible and they were reading this, they would come to this conclusion, the premillennial view. It's just the easiest one. It it takes literally the prophecies about the second coming. The third one is this, it has the fewest biblical problems that are attached to it. What do I mean? There's all kinds of man-made theological systems, they're everywhere. One of them is premillennialism, one is amillennialism, one is Calvinism, one is Arminianism, and there's about 1,000 or 10,000 more. And all of them are honest attempts to by the individuals to put these together. I, I, I'm trying to put all the verses together and understand, and it's a man-made theological system, but every single one of them have verses and passages that don't fit their model, every one. And there are some problem passages for premillennial view too, but fewer than any of the other ideas about the second coming. And so, here's what I say to us. Look, whatever it is that you hold about any of the isms, do it with humility. When we get to heaven, we're going to learn a lot of things we don't know now, and a lot of gaps are going to be filled in. But what I don't want to do is live my whole ministry avoiding a great, amazing, powerful topic in the New Testament that is talked about over and over and over again. I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to talk about the second coming of Christ. So it is not a topic to be avoided. It is a topic to be understood, and I'm going to share this with you today. There are three things Paul says to us so clearly in this passage of Scripture. We cannot miss it. And so three things that will line up in the end days that will help us know that the end days have come. Three things. First, there will be an apostasy that happens. The word apostasy means to depart from the faith. Paul actually talked about this several times in his writings and other places. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons." What does that mean? It means that in the last days, there will be church members, there will be pastors of churches, there will be whole churches, there will be groups of churches, like denominations, who will leave the doctrines and the morals of the Bible seduced by quote, unquote, new truths that we didn't understand. Well, the Bible was saying this all along and we didn't realize it not so, seduced by so-called new truths, which have their origination in hell itself." And I'm going to tell you folks, it's happening now. It's the same idea that Jesus had in mind in Matthew 24. The whole Matthew 24 chapter is all Jesus telling us about the end times, what's going to happen in the last days. And he says in verse 10 to 12, and many will turn away from me and betray me and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. It's happening today. And sin will be rampant everywhere. Well, doesn't that describe where we are? And the love of many will grow cold. And Paul is saying that one of the three things that must line up at the end The first one is apostasy. And here's the truth, though. Probably in every generation, in every civilization, from second, first century to now, there have been apostasies. And there are apostasies, a falling away of truth, that are happening in our day as well. Three things have to line up, not just one. So what do we do when we face today? These kinds of teachings that really come from the pit of hell itself, what do we do? How do we respond to this? Be loving to every person, every person, every person, E-V-E-R-Y, all, A-L-L, be loving to all people, be loving to all people. How is it that you and I lead someone to Christ who we hate? How is it that you and I would lead someone to Christ that we have terrible jokes about? How is it that we would lead someone to Christ that we would bully? How could we do that? That is not to be who we are. It is not who Jesus was. We are to treat every human being with love. And Stay hardwired into the truth of God's Word. Jesus did both. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. And you and I can be too. God has called you and I to love every person, no matter who they are and what they've done and what they're about and what they think and what they believe, Are nothing. Love every person, but be hardwired to the truth of God's Word and refuse to compromise it. There are people today who say, well, you can't do that. You either love this group of people, and if you love them, you will disavow yourself of what the Bible teaches, or don't say you love me. Well, that is a lie and a manipulation. That's a manipulation tool. But there's people on the other side of this say, Forget the loving thing. we got to stay hardwired to the Word of God, and I hate these people. No, that's just as wrong. Both grace and truth. So how do you know you're heading in the right direction? Take what the Bible says. Don't try to explain it away or try to make it say what your culture is telling you to believe. Just obey God's Word. There was never a time that that God intended for you and I to get along with culture and to line up with culture. We were to be the conscience of culture. We, We were to call the conscience with that conscience the culture back to God. And it meant that there would be times in which the culture would come against us and hate us and laugh at us and mock us. Stay true to God's Word. You don't have to be loved. You don't have to be liked by the culture. Make sure you are lined up with God, not the culture. The first is there will be an apostasy that comes. Second of all, there will come a man that the Bible identifies as the Antichrist. In the book of 1 John... The Apostle John uses the word Antichrist. That's where we got it from. It's from John in the book of 1 John. And he uses it in two different ways. Two. He says in 1 John 2.18, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist. It's a definite article, the. It's a person. It's a man. The Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have already come. And this is how we know we're in the last hour. John is saying there are many antichrists that will come and go. But there is one key antichrist who will come at the end. What does he mean that there are many antichrists that come and go? What is he talking about? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus. Stop. He's talking about who Jesus is. The Son of God. God come in flesh. There are some people who acknowledge, well, he was a good man, he was a moral teacher, he was a prophet perhaps, but we do not buy the idea that he was the son of God. We we, we reject the idea he was God in flesh. Every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is who Jesus said he is, who God's word says he is, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. There is a spirit of Antichrist, which is a rejection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And everyone who rejects Jesus as the Son of God that He so clearly understood Him to be, and God in flesh who He so clearly understood Him to be, the Bible says that person, though they are complimenting Jesus, is a spirit, is a spirit, is a spirit of Antichrist. We have in our culture, our society today, and everyone has from the beginning of first century, individuals who were just like this definition. They were a spirit of Antichrist. And we have them today. And the Bible says that... As we're living our life, we need to be circumspect. We need to be looking around us all the time. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 and 15 and 16 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You be careful what preachers you listen to, including me. And you judge me according to God's word. Do I line up with the Bible? You listen to every preacher. How well does this person line up with the Bible? How well does this other influencer in your life line up with the Bible? Let the Bible be the judge, not your relationship with some other person, some friendship of some pastor. Let the Bible be the judge. You watch. You live circumspect, judging everything according to God's Word because the days are evil, But the Apostle John also uses the word to describe a particular person, the Antichrist, who will arise in the last days. The book of Daniel talks a great deal about a man who will come in the last days. Peter, Paul is talking in this passage about a man who will come in the last days. And John in the book of Revelation talks about a man who will come in the last days. There are some pastors who say, well, the whole thing about the Antichrist has nothing to do with a man. It has to do with the spirit of Antichrist, and that is it. And there's a Greek word for that, baloney. It is not true. It is not true. That's only half the truth. The Antichrist is the antithesis of Christ. That's what Antichrist means. He will present himself as the real Messiah. He will seek allegiance all over the world. And when the man who the Bible says is the Antichrist, when the man leader comes, the whole world will go after him. Everything that Jesus is, the Antichrist will be the opposite. So let's look. Daniel says a great deal about this man, the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7, 8, 9, and 11. So here's what he says. He says this is going to be a king of fierce countenance, powerful and deadly. He is going to be a leader able to solve the unsolvable world problems. Aren't people crying out for that? Who's got the answers to all these problems? Third, he will exalt himself above Jehovah God. Fourth, he will be successful in all he does until the battle of Armageddon where Jesus will cut his legs out from under him. Number five, he will suppress and defeat followers of God for a set period of time. It looks like he's winning. God, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you stopping this? He's winning. It will look like he's winning until the end. Number six, he will be empowered directly by Satan himself. Seven, he will be full of arrogance and pride. And eight, he will come into prominence through solving the Middle East crisis and establishing a peace treaty with Israel. Doesn't mean that any everybody, anybody in history that has a peace treaty with Israel is somehow the Antichrist, but there will be a person at the end who gets that whole thing solved. This whole passage—I quoted Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty-seven—in your notes. The whole passage, Daniel chapter nine, verses twenty-four to twenty-seven. I believe, I think, it is my opinion, is the greatest prophecy in the entire Bible. It—it it is a, an incredible, detailed prophecy of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. It is an absolutely powerful and amazing prophecy in the Bible. John has so much to say. That's Daniel. John has so much to say in the book of Revelation about this man. So much detail. We'll look at some of that next Sunday. you got to be back here next Sunday. But what I want to talk to you about now is what Paul writes. And we're only looking at half of what Paul writes. We'll look at the other half of what Paul says next Sunday. It's a cliffhanger, isn't it? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That's first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. He will oppose, and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself. To be God. Paul calls this man a man, the, the man of sin, meaning this guy is totally possessed by Satan himself. You look at Adolf Hitler, he was possessed, but nothing to the degree of this man that is called the Antichrist. He is also called the son of perdition. That word perdition means destruction. This guy is... D- is the originator of destruction that's going to come. Destruction against those who come to know Christ as Savior during the tribulation period where this guy, when this guy reigns. This guy will destroy so many of the Jewish people during this period of time, though they clamor for him for the first half because he will allow them to rebuild the temple. But by the halfway point, he will then cause this terrible thing to happen in the temple And now he'll turn against the Jewish people. He'll destroy so many Jewish people, so many Christ followers. And he will lead to destruction millions upon millions of people around the world who follow him. But the son of perdition also means what will happen to him when Jesus comes back. That he himself will be destroyed. Paul describes this guy setting up a terrible thing in the temple where he's worshipped in the temple of God. Where he is worshipped as God in the temple of God. This very thing happened in 167 B.C., before Christ. 167 B.C. A Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. A Greek ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, emerged and the Jewish people were not cooperating with him. So he came in with his forces into Jerusalem, kicked everybody out of the temple. He set up a throne in the temple himself and he had a pig sacrificed on the altar of God. The Jewish people could hardly believe what has not the desecration of abomination that has happened. They could hardly believe it, and they rose up against him. And though it was like David and Goliath, it was they had no chance against all of his forces. They defeated him. This is history. They defeated him. Cast him out of Jerusalem, never was able to come back. They freed and liberated Israel from Antiochus Epiphanes. And they then reconsecrated the temple. And at the end of the reconsecration, this is where Hanukkah comes from. This is the whole celebration of Hanukkah that every December happens. It is the remembrance of that time in 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes, that is celebrated every December, Hanukkah. That was not a fulfillment of what Daniel was teaching because Paul says in 50 A.D., okay, but it's happening, going to happen again at the end. That was not the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. It's going to happen again. And Jesus says exactly the same thing in that passage in Matthew 24. So when you see standing in the holy place, he's talking about the temple, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. You'll know this is the moment. Now you think about it, you're realizing, wait a minute. Then Does that mean there's going to be another temple in Jerusalem? Yes. Yes. It means there's going to be a literal temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. When? I mean, there is right now a building called the Dome of the Rock on, the, on that's from, uh, sacred to the Muslims. There will be, in that day, the destruction of the Dome of the Rock, the clearing off of the temple grounds, and a rebuilding of this temple. It is a part of prophecy. I know, maybe some of you saying that is totally outlandish. I know, it sounds like it, doesn't it? But right now in Jerusalem, there is an institute for the new temple. I've been to it three times. They have all the furnishings for the new temple already built. They even have all the stuff required to cleanse the temple grounds, to rebuild the temple already in existence in Jerusalem at the Temple Institute, waiting for the moment. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 5, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you all these things? Apostasy and a Christ will arise. Number three, the restrainer will be removed. 2 Thessalonians 2 6 to 8. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Satan would love to bring him right now. He would love it, but he can't because God is not allowing him to come yet until the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to hold it back until he is taken out of the way. The restrainer is removed, and then the lawless one will be removed. For the last 40 years in the United States, every new president is declared to be the Antichrist by the opposing party in America. I mean, they're all, everyone, we've, we've had like six or seven Antichrists now over the last 40 years. Everybody's the Antichrist, and you'll always hear, well, I believe this guy, this new president's Antichrist because this, this, and this. The guy that was most like the description of the Antichrist in all of history was Adolf Hitler. He fit to a T the description in the Bible of the Antichrist, but it wasn't God's timing. It was Satan's attempt to counterfeit. It was not God's timing. It was not God's timing. It was not God's timing. It has not been yet God's timing. But the day when it is God's timing, the apostasy will emerge and the Antichrist will emerge. And Satan will have full rule because the Holy Spirit will say, okay. And he'll take his hands off. What is holding back The Antichrist is the power of God through his Holy Spirit. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. He is talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason is because Satan is not in control of anything. God is in control of everything. Isaiah 46, verse 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times. What is still to come? I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. This is God who is speaking and what he is saying is God is totally sovereign. He is totally in control. If you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on the winning team. God is totally in control. And so at that moment, he will back up and he will give full reign. Although the power of sin is always at work, the lawless one will not be allowed to appear until the timing of God is perfectly accomplished. And when the Holy Spirit steps aside, Satan will have full reign and evil will prevail. Just as the Scripture says, like it has never done before and never will be like afterwards. That's how the Scripture says. Des- describes this moment so what have we learned three things have to line up a falling away of people who call themselves Christians falling away giving heed to seducing spirits giving heed to doctrines that come right from hell itself second of all the whole the the, the Antichrist emerges and third the Holy Spirit says, Okay, it's time. And where do we fit in all of this? you got to come back next Sunday. <laughs> next Sunday, we're going to complete this picture. You've got to come back next Sunday. What does it mean for us? Make sure you're saved. Make sure you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Make sure you are saved that you've committed your heart by faith. I'm not talking about being religious here. I'm in church. What do you think? Nothing. It is not people in church. It's not people who are religious. It's people who have committed their heart by faith to Jesus Christ. Make sure you know him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Oh, God, I pray you'd move in hearts in this room today to say yes to you, give their heart and life to you while they still have the opportunity. And, Father, I pray for Christians who are not living for you, maybe in this room, that you, Father, would shake us today, that we would get our heart right with you, and we'd begin to walk with you. Oh, God, move in our hearts. And, Father, I pray for all of us, that you would get us out of our apathy and that we would open our mouths and that we would share you with other people while there's still time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.